tonight, we're going to go back and finish uh, the message that we started last week um, in our parenting, or our, I should say our family series, and this is the last few weeks we've kind of had a parenting focus on these things. So um, the last time we were together last week, we looked at this idea of preparing t- for launch. So if you brought your handout with you, um, you can, might want to pull that back out, so we're going to finish that out tonight. If you did not um, get a handout, um, then they're back there on the bulletin table back there. Does anybody need one? Do you need a handout? Just slip your hand up. We got a couple. We got somebody back there who can run and get you one if you need one. Okay, so we got plenty of extra. Um, and so we began looking at this idea last week, um, talking about how do we help our kids, and specifically, you know, we've been focusing on older kids and teens and those sorts of things. How do we help prepare them to live? in the world in which we live um, today. And um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world that you grew up in is not the same world that our kids grew up in today. Do you agree with that? However, at the same time, the truth of God's word that was true then has not changed today either. And the same God that that, that you served growing up, hopefully, is the same God that our kids can serve today. And the same... The, though the, the, the expressions of sin may be more flagrant or different uh, or take on different forms, um, there's, there's still sin at its core and at its root. And God addresses sin in his word, and God addresses how we live for him in his word. So last week when we started, we looked at this statement to help us understand, help us get going in the same way. What is the purpose of man? What is the purpose of mankind? What is the purpose of, of us as God's personal creation, as the pinnacle of everything that God made? What is our purpose in life? And there were two verses we went to. One was Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And the second one is in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the answer to this question, what is the purpose of man, is to glorify God. Is always the answer. What is our purpose in life? To glorify God. And in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be redeemed from our sin and live out that purpose as redeemed sinners. Um, and, and even if, if someone doesn't know the Lord, God is still glorified in the way that, that things go on in their life because he still acts in their lives whether they recognize him or not. He's not glorified by sin, obviously. Um, but the, the Bible talks, Jesus does say that, that God sends rain on the just and the unjust, right? There are, there are blessings that God gives to people even if they don't follow him. And if you lived your life for any length of time, and maybe you came to the Lord later in life, you might have the opportunity there to look back and, and really quantify some of those things that God did in your life, even though you weren't serving him. And the things that God was, was preparing you for in your life, those blessings along the way. And so, obviously, what we're doing is we're addressing this to Christian families, to parents, to grandparents, to um, people who are involved in, in the lives of, other, of, the young, of the next generation. 
um, however that looks, um, aunts and uncles, and you know, we, we have connections, and, and within a church body, we build those connections. Um, but we understand that the drive of godly parents then is to instill in the lives of their children the values and practical methods of glorifying God. It, it, it always starts at a value level. It always starts at a philosophical, theological basis. Um, you know the, the definition of philosophy is why you do what you do, right? So um, the, at the basis, at the core, we want to help our kids understand the values, the, the godly uh, values of, of serving God. But then we want to take it beyond that and give to our children practical training and instruction of how we serve God. Um, how many of you have ever struggled in your life to understand how the, the theological teaching of this applies to my practical life in, in a certain area? Have you ever struggled to, to, to put some of those things together? Maybe you can't say it right away, but you, you know, I think sometimes we struggle with application. And that's going to be an ongoing pursuit in our lives. How do we take the Word of God, what I am reading in the Word of God, what I am studying, and make it, make it fit or help, it to, help my life fit to what it is saying, right? And um, I've talked to many people over the years who um, read the Bible and, you know, and they, you know, the one I always hear is, how do I get um, Second Chronicles or First Chronicles chapter 2 or whatever it is, where all those names are, how does that affect my life today? I'm like, study it, right? The, the, if nothing else, what you pull out of those things is, is how important individuals are to God, it has great bearing on your life, right? Um, and, and, and as you go through the Word of God, you're going to come across things like that. But, but then practically, there's some practical areas where we teach our kids how to follow God and serve Him. We began last week by looking at this, this first concept of our character, who we are, what we're known for. Um, a great definition of character is who you are no one else is looking. Because we can, we can be a lot of things in front of the right people. Right? That old, the old adage, fake it till you make it. Right? Um, it, 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 when it comes to the things of God, even, in church, you can say the right things, you can say the right words. I mean, the amount of times that people even come into churches and give they know they give testimonies, um, even if they join a church, because they know all the right little words they're supposed to say. Right? If I say the right password, it's like you know typing in little buttons to get into. But character is who you are when no one else is looking. It's just you and God. That's who you are. And so when we teach our kids what character is, we're not teaching them do this because I said so or do this because people are looking. Do this because this is right. Because God says this is right. That's why we follow him. And there's a couple areas. One was in this idea of work. How do we approach work? And again, this is just a very practical application in the day and age we live in. Um, how we approach our work life. God has a lot to say about that. I'm not going to go back and rehash all of that because we did that last week. And secondly, in this idea of decision making. How do we sit down and work through the decisions of life? The everyday decisions and then maybe some that are a little more um, grandiose in nature. And then, secondly, where we left off last week was 
Um, we secondly need to prepare our kids in life in this, I, in this area of relationships. And um, within that, the first one we looked at was this idea of friends. And again, without going back and, and rehashing all of these, um, but just, just kind of hitting some of the highlights, you know, growing spiritually is, is a great deal easier with the right kind of friends in our lives. And that's not just for teens, that's for anyone. You need the right kind of friends in your life to help you to grow spiritually. And then um, we have to, to warn our teens about the dangers of, of wrong friendships in their lives. And, and then help our teens understand what it means to be a good friend. Which also means sometimes we have to expose the, you know, when we did this in your life, you were not being a good friend. You were instead being a, a very bad influence on other people. Or imposing your own selfish will into the lives of others. And then within friendship, uh, I spent a lot of time, a good bit of time last week, a little uh, talking about uh, the value of redemptive relationships and the necessity of discipleship. That these two things are, are vital, that we learn to reach out to the world around us, and we learn to, to both um, learn from others and then take what we have learned and invest that in others. And, and the goal of discipleship, the goal of discipleship is never to make someone else see everything the way I see it. What is the goal of discipleship? Okay, discipleship does take relationships, yeah. But what is the goal of discipleship? Okay, to what? Reach people to God, right? Teach them to be like Christ, right? Um, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's discipleship. Discipleship isn't about do you ap- making someone apply all the scriptures the way I apply them or hold the same standards of life, life that I hold them, but to point them to the scriptures and say this is what God says and this is what we're doing. We're, we're seeking to follow him. But we're not always going to do that perfectly. We're not always going to do that the same on certain things. But at the end of the day, this is who we're following. We're following Jesus Christ. Um, and we call sin, sin. And, and we, we, we look to do what is right. So that kind of catches us up where we are. Now let's, let's go on to the second part uh, of two points within relationships. Secondly, within relationships, um, we need to teach our kids, we need to teach our teens about the most important human relationship they will have one day, and that's to hopefully their spouse that they will have. So within relationships, we need to teach our kids on this idea of dating and marriage. And when it comes to that, as a parent, your call is to model that relationship for your kids. You, the, the relationship that you have with your spouse is the type of relationship that they will one day seek in that, in that, in that context. They're modeling what they see. And so here's the thing. As parents, we have to understand something. The parent-child relationship is an important relationship. Um, It's a vital relationship, but it is never more important than my relationship to my spouse. That's the first and primary human relationship. And so we have to to take great care 
in how we model that relationship for our kids. We have, to, uh, we have to, to put effort into that. We have to put time into that. We have to seek what God says about that. Um, and, and so that, that, there's a lot that could be said there. I'm not going to turn this now into a marriage seminar, okay? Um, but, but understand that, that that's a vital thing. And so then we have to prepare them, our kids, for that relationship that hopefully one day they will have. You need to sit down and, and talk to your kids. And, and, maybe, and, and, and this is the thing, too. I mean, we, we get this idea that this kind of stuff, ha- okay, we have to sit down and talk about it. You know, this is the, the thing, though. These things are conversations. These conversations are conversations you have along the way of life as well. You know, I, if every one of these things is a big sit down and let's have a, a moment, um, then, then that's not discipleship. That's lecturing, right? And, and that is, that lecturing does have its place. We do have to sometimes really sit through and, and grind out and work through some things. But, but along the way, teaching and exalting the things of God in our lives. And teach our kids um, about what is important in a mate. And have honest, open, and age-appropriate discussion revolving around what God's word says about these things. And you know, within this idea of, of marriage, before marriage is this concept of dating. And some of you don't even want to, you're like, listen, you're like me, I don't want to think about that yet, right? I've got an eight-year-old is the oldest one I have in my house. Which, by the way, he told his mom a couple weeks ago he really was going to pass on the whole marriage thing. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So that, but unless, what did you say, what did you tell me? Unless he found someone who would take him out to dinner, then he'd be okay with that, okay? So he's got to. Yeah, buy him a dinner, okay? So he's got this figured out, okay? So here's what we need to do. You as a parent, especially if you have teens or on the verge of having teens, do you have a family, what is your family's stance stance on dating and those sorts of relationships? And I'll tell you right now, the answer cannot be, well, I don't know. We just haven't figured it out yet. You need to know. And you need to communicate that to your kids and say, okay, this is why we do, this is why we're doing it. This is what the Bible says about this, this is what we're doing, and, and we want to share that with you. And we want to help you with these, with these things. Um, and, 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 and communicate that. And then when the time comes, you know, whether that's you let your kids date in high school or college or when they're 43 or whatever it is, um, I would encourage you to be involved in that process. Know who it is that they're spending time with. Um, you know, continuing to have that kind of relationship with them and knowing the people that they're, they're drawing closest to. And teens especially need to learn about dating and marriage as they will one day soon face that time of life and, and need to make those decisions for themselves. Um, and we can't rely, you know, I think the trap is sometimes for some of these things, we like, okay, if we could just push that off on the church or um, if you're, uh, you know, in, I've seen it in different contexts in the Christian school or this or that, and they'll kind of figure that out. That does, th- these kind of things, that approach to parenting is not parenting. That's, that's subcontracting our kids, and that doesn't work. We are responsible to teach our kids these things. Now, the church and these other places that you may have your kids should be able to come alongside and help disciple and speak into the lives of your kids, but they cannot be the primary disciples of your children. 
that has to start in the home. And then the third thing within relationships, you have friends, you have this idea of dating and marriage, and then you have the relationship uh, to authority. The message, there's a message that you probably heard as a teenager growing up, challenge authority, question authority. How many of you have ever, you've heard, you've gotten that, at least got that vibe, you know, growing up, that that was something you were supposed to do when you got to a certain age. And that, that message still exists today. And so here's something that, that's important for us to teach our teens, teach our kids. As long as you live on this earth, there's always an authority. Um, you know, you go to work somewhere, guess what? You have a boss, right? Uh, you drive down the road, uh, you, have, you have police officers who govern the road, you have laws, you know. You live in a country, there's authority, right? Um, and if you say, well, you know, even if you ascend to the highest and ranks of, of human authority, guess what? There's always God who is over us. And it's easy to think, especially at the age of, of, of you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, hey, you know what, I am almost, I'm almost hit adulthood, I'm almost my, my own boss, and I don't have anybody else to worry about. You remember thinking those thoughts, right? And how wrong you were, Right? So we need to teach what the Bible says about relationships to authority. I have three major sections when it comes to this. Number one, who is the primary authority in the life of our kids? It's parents. That's probably an easy one to remember, right? (laughs) That's you. Um, The first authority that God gives to children is their parents. That's why we spent time in this sermon series as we've gone through this idea of of our homes talking about what does God say to children? What does God say to parents? Because there is a parent-child, that that is a a, a relationship that involves authority. So how do we respond? How do we treat those in that authority, in that position? Number two is the government. Do you understand that the scripture tells us to honor those who are in authority over us in our government? You understand the context, by the way, in which that was written. You read chapters like Roman, the first part of Romans 13. You read uh, in the book of Titus. Um, you read in, in, I believe it's first or second, Timothy, these statements about uh, how we, how, how, how Paul was calling on the Christians to respond to the governmental authorities in their lives. And you understand that the time that was written, the persecution that those people were facing, it wasn't this, hey, Christians are great, you know, we just all get along. They were literally lighting Christians on fire in the streets of Rome. And Paul says, pray for your authorities. Submit yourselves to those who rule over you. Seek to live peaceably with all men. We have a a responsibility to the government that God has placed over us. And of course, within any authority, if, if we are asked to do something that goes against the word of God, then we respond with what the disciples 
in the book of Acts, we ought to obey God rather than men. But we take, I think especially in a country like ours where um, we live in this uh, democratic republic where we all get to vote and all of these things, we take a pretty cavalier author- uh, attitude sometimes towards our authority. We have to remember that God is the one who put them there. And God is the one who will take them down. And God is the one who can reach their hearts. And God is the one who is sovereign. And so by submitting to them, we submit to God. By honoring them, we honor God. And so we need to teach our, our kids that, how that works out. Now, then I did the great thing here. I put my third one, other authorities. <laughs> okay, other. Just a catch-all category. Things like teachers, um, bosses at work, spiritual leaders in their lives, like a pastor or maybe a Sunday school teacher or you know, these people that we're going to run into in our lives, or a discipler um, who will have um, some level of, of spiritual authority in our lives as well. We need to teach what, what each proper relationship looks like in these things. So what are things we need to, to teach them to do? One, we need to teach them how to interact with those who are in authority. What if we believe or even we know an authority is wrong on something? How do we handle that? Because there is a proper way to handle that and a, pro- and a way we don't handle those situations. What if I disagree with someone who's an authority over me? Or how do I pray for these people who are over me? And so the best and greatest way we can teach this is not just to say it, but then to model the proper relationship we are to have to authority. Let me tell you how not to do it. You get in the car, maybe a kid's been at practice, school, uh, lesson, church, wherever it is. And they get in the car and they start lighting up whoever it is who's in charge of that event, you know, activity. I mean, they're just lighting up that authority because they did this and that was wrong. Da, 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 da. Let me tell you in that moment what you should not do. Don't join that kill session, okay? Don't, don't, don't express, you know, don't begin to degrade authority in the presence of your kids, Because I'll tell you, it won't be long before they continue to model what they see, and you will be the one that they're taking down next. Where do my kids learn that? They listen to you in the car on the way home from from work, from church, from this, from that, talking down the authorities that God's put in your lives. That's where they learn it. Yes, they have their own sin nature, but they also model what they see in their lives. And sometimes, sometimes, Probably more times than we care to admit because we're human, right? An authority may be wrong or seems wrong. But you as a parent may have to handle that situation on your own. Maybe you have a, a kid in a situation where, they're again, they're, in a, they're at another place. Maybe they're in someone's home or at, at church or at school or lessons or, again, sports or work. And, and, and you hear the story. And so you, what you try to do is you try to uphold a godly position of authority, and then, and then after, after you're, you have a chance to work through that situation with them and you're not with them, you may have to work that on the back end on your own. 
You may have to get on the phone and make some calls. You may have to say, hey, this is what I'm hearing. Can you tell me what happened? Can you tell me what's going on? Because you and I both know, know very well there are how many sides to every story? There are two, right? There are two sides to every story. And so we may have to work through some misunderstandings. And so we need to be careful if we condemn, if we can, if we condemn or prematurely start some process of, of tearing someone down, and we don't have all the facts, it's really hard to get that back. It's really hard to work that back when we've, when we've just gone after somebody. So we have to help our kids, our teens, in the relationships that they have in their lives. Number three, and perhaps the most important, and that will guide everything else we talked about tonight, so we prepare our kids to go out into the world, we need to help them with their faith. Along with helping our teens to develop godly character and cultivate godly relationships, we need to help them with their most important relationship, their relationship to God. And if they will ever, if they are ever to be, and again, I put this in great big quotation marks, successful in life, they need a vibrant, active relationship with God. So obviously, salvation of our kids is the first thing. And I've, again, a lot of things I've said over these last couple of messages, um, this assumes the salvation of our kids. You know, it's, you, can't, um, you can't carve on rotten wood. You can't disciple people who don't know God. Right? People who don't know the Lord, they don't have the ability to live a godly lives. So, we, what we need to teach our kids within this context and this sphere of faith, what I'm going to talk about tonight, comes after we have seen them come to know the Lord. And, and so those years um, when your kids don't know God are vital as well because you're laying the foundation and the groundwork. I'm not saying that you don't teach kids when they're little and they're unsaved or, or, or older and they're unsaved. You don't teach them um, what God says. But understand, you have to come out and come on a completely different side. You're trying to win them to the Lord and help them to see they're a sinner. And, and this is what God says. And if you're going to live this and follow this, you have to know God. Um, and obviously, in our home, we live that a little more because we have very young children still who, who, have, who aren't old enough to put the pieces together to understand they need the Lord. And so as, as each one has gotten older, we continue to help them to see this is what God says. This is sin. This is and it's what the Bible says about that. And let God work in their heart and draw, them, draw him to themselves, to himself. And so then, when our kids come to the Lord, what are some things we need to teach them? First, we need to teach them uh, and help them to, to, to gain a desire for God's word. In a world that challenges and questions what is truth, our teens need to know all the answers for life are found in God's unchanging word. And though this may seem like a very basic statement, this is a foundational statement that we cannot miss. I am, perhaps more than I care to admit, have used this statement, but I think it's it's a vital cultural, um, it just reflects the culture we live in, that today one of the biggest things is, well, that's your truth, right? You heard that? (laughs) Some of you have, okay? Well, that's your truth. Well, that goes against the very definition of truth. Because truth doesn't change. 
So we have to help our kids understand, hey, there's only one source of truth, and that's God's word. And what God's word says is what is right. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I think this is a fascinating passage. Uh, Obviously, we could go and quote the whole rest of the four verses here, and and it would be even better. But I just wanted to give you these two tonight. And and I think every time I look at this, I'm always reminded of what, what David is talking about here. Obviously, to us, when we think about the law of God, we think about the word of God, we, we think of this, right? We think of, of 66 books that God has, has inspired and preserved for us to read today. But you understand that when David wrote that, under inspiration of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He is literally talking about the law of God. The Pentateuch, the first five books that Moses wrote. And specifically, he's talking about the law that God had given his people. I don't know about you, but I read the book of Leviticus, and I'm like, that's a hard meditation, man. Okay? That's a lot. That's a lot. How many of you have ever thought about the, about the book of Leviticus? That's a lot. Okay? Yeah. Okay. But this is the attitude we're to have towards God's word. The delight of the Christian is his God and God's word. Have you taught your kids how to delight in God's word? There are so many things in the world that promise us happiness, that promise us satisfaction, that promise us, hey, this will keep you going. But none of them compare to what God has written to us in his word. Not a single one. And if we want to teach our teens how to grow in God, We have to teach them how to delight in his word. You show me someone who doesn't spend time with God and claims to be a Christian, and I will show you a stunted Christian or someone who doesn't know God at all if they don't spend time in God's word. Sorry. You show me someone who doesn't like to spend time in God's word and delight in him, then you see see a stunted Christian or someone who doesn't know God at all. Because Christians spend time with God. That's what disciples do. We follow God. It doesn't mean it's always easy, right? But it's important. It's vital to our lives. So we need to teach teens, teach our kids, and teens especially, how to study God's word. It won't be long before they will be out of the house, and they need to know how to study God's word and apply it to their everyday lives. Here's one of the the great truths That we need to understand and communicate about God's word. That God's word is understandable and practical. That you can, through the help of the Holy Spirit, understand the word of God. And I think sometimes that's just a relief in itself to hear that. Because we think, oh man, I'm I'm struggling. You know, I read some of this stuff and I can't pronounce half the names. right? Let alone understand what it's trying to say. So we help our kids learn how to to sit down and work through the Word of God and help them them study the Scriptures. And and by the way, okay, I mean, here again, you know what that's going to require, right? It's going to require you to be a student of God's Word as well. 
It's going to require you to dig in and find out what God is saying. It's going to require you to go out and find the tools that are necessary to make this successful. And then, if we are truly going to teach our kids how to study God's word, we have to hold them accountable. That's a word, again, that our society loves to hate, accountability, right? Checking up on me? Yeah, we are. And one of the things I talked I think I've talked this before, one of the things that, that um, we have one reader in our house, and one of the things that he's supposed to do in the morning is, is read his Bible. He's supposed to spend time with God. And so, do you know what is, what it, when he comes downstairs, you know what I ask him? Hey, did you read your Bible? And you know what? A lot of times I don't just take a yes. You know, then I, oh, yes. Then the follow-up question, what? What did you read, right? Because how many of us have ever been guilty of reading three, passages, three chapters of Scripture, we put a Bible down, and five minutes later, we don't remember a word we read, okay? Good, I'm not the only one. That's good, okay? I was reading something this morning. I read the same thing like five times, you know? Like, what am I reading, right? <laughs> because we check out. And so we, we say, hey, we're going to study the Word of God together. We're gonna, you know, maybe if you have the opportunity, some of you um, homeschool your kids, maybe you have a chance to say, hey, we're going to get together at X time for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and we're going to look at this passage together. You, you read it before then, study it, and we'll talk about it. That's a great way to hold people accountable. And then don't let them get away with, well, you know, I said, God, God is love. No, Okay. What does the passage mean? What if we, we, don't, we don't mail in the answers, but we break it down. And we ask hard questions. And you know what? If your kids are studying the Bible, if you study the Bible, there's sometimes you're gonna, they're going to come to you with a question, and you're going to have no clue. That's a fun one, right? When someone asks you a question about the Bible and you don't know. And what is the answer we don't want to give people? Yeah, we don't want to tell them we don't know. We don't, want, we don't give them the wrong answer. Sometimes I think we're afraid to say we don't know. And you know what? I say it's always okay to say to somebody, hey, I don't know. But I'm going to find out and I'm going to get back to you. Because we would rather handle the word of God rightly than to give some answer that doesn't, isn't accurate. I do that on a regular basis. Because often what happens is I'm walking in the back of church and we got three minutes till the service starts. Somebody said, hey, I was reading my Bible this week. I didn't understand. And it's like, you know, I don't have, I don't have the opportunity to, to open the Bible and look at that with you right now. Can I get back with you? And a lot of times I'll say, hey, could you text me that question, and I'll look at it this week, and I'll get back to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to have every answer before us. But we should be able then to take our kids through the Bible and say, okay, how do we find that answer? Secondly, teach, teach, teach our kids the value of meditation. And let me clarify, because again, I think this is a word our culture has hijacked more and more. Meditation isn't crossing your legs and sitting on the floor and right, or trying to find your inner self, okay? When Psalm chapter 1 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his, word, and on his law he meditates day and night, it's not talking about sitting and finding your inner peace or your inner self. But it's, it's ruminating on the word of God. It's, it's remembering what it says. It's, it's bringing those things up again 
murmuring those and repeating those things that we may understand them better. That's what meditation is and how they apply to our lives. It isn't enough to simply read God's word and then walk away and forget what it says. James talks about that in, 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 uh, when he talks about how the word of God is a mirror. And, and what good is it if you look in the mirror and you forget what manner of man you are? You walk away. That was a really loose paraphrase of that passage, but you can go look at it later in James chapter 1. We meditate instead on God's word to internalize it in our hearts. We want to get it from here to here. And that sometimes is the greatest gulf to pass from your head to your heart. We want to take the truths and apply them to our lives. And so um, I would say, I would argue that oftentimes one of the best ways to do this is to memorize God's Word. That's what I struggle with, you know, I've always struggled with as an adult, is continuing to memorize the Word of God. I did a lot of it as a kid. I did a lot of it in college. um, And I, I, I know I struggle personally with continuing to do that as an adult. Especially when you have your phone, you can just type in three words and you can find the verse you're looking for anyway, right? But we need to, to memorize the Word of God. Why? Memorization mobilizes meditation. That's your three Baptist words right there, okay? Memorization mobilizes meditation. Because you can then remember and meditate on the things that you have memorized. And so as we study God's word, understand that it affects every part of our lives. I mean, look what God told Joshua as he prepared to lead the Israelites into Canaan. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth or from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. You shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What was God's plan for Joshua? as he prepared to take the promised land. His plan for Joshua was for him to stay faithful to God's word. And then that would make him successful because he was following God. So God's plan for us is that we follow God's word. That's the guiding principle in life. We follow the word of God. And we live in an instantaneous, fast-paced, fast-paced world of lightning speeds and LTE downloads. And in this fast-paced, ever-going world, we need to learn how to sit down before our God, sit still and be still and know that he is God and study his word. But we really don't like to be alone with our thoughts half the time. We're always scrolling or listening or this or that. And we need time to sit with God and meditate on who he is and meditate in his word and how it applies to us. I don't think I have these on your handout, but three words, if I could give you this, when you teach your kids to study the word of God. One, time. Teach your kids, the value of a consistent time to read God's word. The enemy of um, the enemy of of the word of God, of, of spending time with God on a consistent basis is, well, I'll do that when I have 
Because when do we have time? Yeah. We end up not having time a lot of time, right? And so we need to can teach our kids that there is a value to um, setting a time to be with God. And so um, we need to teach our kids there's a value to having a time with God. Hey, this is the time that I am going to spend with God. And so therefore, this is what, the, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to guard that time. This is when I meet with God. Now, does that mean that sometimes emergencies happen? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we got to move it? Yeah. So we need to give God the time that he is due in our lives. Secondly, the first word is time. Second word is place. We need to teach our kids the value of a place where we spend time with God. This is, um, this is not a... Um, a law. This is a practical thing that I have found. I have found that it's very helpful if we say, hey, that's, for, that's my place where I go and I spend time with God. Because it is, it, it's, it's an immensely helpful thing. Like, hey, that's, I know where I'm going to be. It's not just herky-jerky wherever, but it's, um, it, it, you know, go ahead and, and spend, this is where I'm going to go to be with him. Um, and so we need to have a time and a place for, to spend with God. Third, we need to have a purpose. A purpose for where we spend time uh, or for what we're doing with God. We don't just open the Bible and read it. Right? I hope you don't. But we, we, we actually have a purpose for what we're doing with God. Hey, this is, this is the book I'm studying. This is how I'm working through the Word of God. This is how I'm following Him in these things. So, time, place, and purpose. Um, God's Word changes our lives. So then how can we neglect these things? Because knowing God's Word is knowing God. Number two, not only do we teach our kids um, to study God's word, we need to teach them how to have a consistent prayer life. Last sermon, I mentioned the importance and priority of prayer in that heart-to-heart parenting, but I want to mention again here that we need to help our teens understand the importance and value of prayer in their own lives. Because it is through prayer that we communicate with our Heavenly Father and understand that He wants us to talk to Him about everything in our lives. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What you learn in that verse is that it is so easy to be worried and anxious, especially, and, and I say especially as our lives grow busier, God instead wants us to pray to him. How many of you ever found it's easy to be anxious in life? And the more things you have going, the more anxious you get to be, right? God says, be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything. And we do so. We can bring to God our burdens and requests. We can bring to God our urgent petitions. We give him thanks 
and, and there is an unexplainable and unmatched peace found in God when we depend on him through prayer. When Paul says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. That's the idea, it surpasses understanding. We think if we would understand it all, it'll be great. Paul says, God says, that what's greater than that is trusting me, even if you don't understand. That's where the peace of God comes from. And as our kids' lives fill up with things, and they got a lot of things going on, um, they need to know the value of prayer. They need to know the value of spending time with God. And so we need to teach them how to spend time with God and how to have an active relationship in prayer with God. And so um, what should prayer be? Again, I didn't put these on your handout, but maybe you could write these three words down. One, prayer should be consistent. We should consistently pray to God. And by this, I'm not talking about well, we, whenever we sit down and have a meal, we pray. We're talking about one-on-one, you and God. When is that? Number two, it should be purposeful. This is what we are praying for. Teach your kids the value of, hey, let's work through a prayer list. Let's work through. I have one of these at my house. I have a little book. It has all these has people, has things we're praying for, what we're doing. Um, We have this in our, if you came again to our house, you'd see like on our whiteboard, little pictures that we draw to help our kids remember what we're praying for. It needs to be purposeful. And number three, we should be specific. Um, You know, when you confess sin in your life to God, be very upfront and, and specific about that. The, um, the whole prayer, hey, God, would you just forgive me if I did anything wrong today? Okay, right? That's like somebody coming to you and say, hey, I'm sorry if I did anything to upset you. <laughs> or I'm sorry if you got upset over something I did. Right? You ever had one of those apologies, right? When God convicts us of sin, we should sit down and confess it. When, God, when, we, we want some, when we're asking for God's help or God's will or God's wisdom in something, let's be specific and say, God, this is what we're praying for. This is, what we're, this is what I'm seeking from you. It should be consistent, purposeful, and specific. And lastly tonight, within faith, we teach our kids to have a love for God's church. God has set up his church to represent him to the world around us today. The church is the manifestation of God's kingdom in this age. What is the church? It is a community of believers working together. It is a place for spiritual instruction and growth. It is a body whose goal is to collectively bring glory to God. So Paul says of Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This verse shows the responsibility of believers to each other in the church. We are to let Christ's word dwell in us as a body. That means spending personal time with God. We are to teach and admonish one another. Paul uses that word teach. We are to share what God has taught us in Scripture. Because you never know how God may use you. One of the ways we do that 
I'll just tell you, as a, as a pastor, one of, the things, one of the ways I try to facilitate that in our church is we have these um, song services and testimony services. I know, we, we sit here and we just kind of like, oh, I don't want to say anything. That's what Paul tells us to do. Literally, God tells us to give testimony of what he's doing in our lives and what he's taught us. So when you do that, you're not glorifying yourself. You're not putting yourself on a pedestal. You're giving honor to God and obeying him. Let's teach our kids to, to, to teach others, to tell others about what God has done. We also, within a church context, of course, have God appointed teachers in that church. Paul says to admonish, teaching and admonishing one another. Admonish means to warn of the consequences of sin. The church is made up of redeemed sinners, so it should be a place that promotes growth. And then Paul says we are to be praising God. He mentions here ways that we can, we can and should be praising God together, singing and making melody in your hearts, and songs and hymns and spiritual songs. God delights in corporate worship. That's why we sing, because it delights him. So we must teach our teens the importance of the local church. It's more than just a place we go a few times a week, but it is vital for our Christian lives. Church is not a place where we go and sit passively in a pew. And I would say we need to expect our children to engage in church in age-appropriate ways. Your teens can serve God in church. Your kids can serve God in church as they learn more about him. And then let's prepare our kids to serve God in greater ways in the future. I would argue that putting your kids in something like music lessons is far more value to, far, of far more value to them spiritually later in life than most anything else that they may pursue. And that doesn't mean that other pursuits are wrong. But you see it in our own local church here. The value of someone who can help a local church by stepping in to play the piano or do that, lead music or do this or do that. And our church is just like 95% of other churches of our like-minded faith across the country. Where every person matters. So you may have been in a church, I've been in them too, where there's 300, 400 people and it seems like every other person plays the piano and every other person knows how to lead music or teach a Sunday school or this or that and the other. That is not the majority of churches in America. They are few and far between. So what we teach our kids now about church is what they will be in the future. They will be the leaders of the church. So let's not be passive when it comes to church. Let's teach them how to be active. Let's invest in their future. Let's teach them how they can use the gifts and talents that God has given them for church. One of the things I always love to do as a youth pastor is um, every year, um, my wife and I would teach a quarter of children's church. And I would always try to grab some of these teens that were in our youth group. And I would tell them, I said, look, you're going to teach one Sunday in children's church. Now, I'll tell you what that meant. That meant for me, sometimes I was reteaching a lesson because it was a 20-minute lesson. They taught it in three, okay? It was just, right? But why do we do that? So they can get practice, they can do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. 
But it's all about, hey, let's begin to train leaders for God. And the attitude, or the biblical model, understand the biblical model for church is, is church membership. That we ask others to hold us accountable within the body of believers. The attitude that we model towards church is what our teens will follow. If church, and we have to ask ourselves this question, if church is so vital to my Christian life, if it is so important to my walk with God, what will cause me to miss church? What will make me skip the gathering of God's people? And why do I go to church? To socialize, to check it off the list. Your teens will know why you go to church and why you don't go to church. And they'll follow your lead. So we need to teach them what church is, why it's important, and then how to find a good church. Because the time will come soon where they may very well be looking for a church. They may move away for a job, for college. And hopefully there they will be looking for a church. So how do we, we have to teach them what is important to look for in a body of believers. The drive of godly parents is to instill in the lives of their children the values and practical methods of glorifying God. So I said at the beginning last week about the laboratory, right? We, we, we drew that picture back to our minds. So we have to ask ourselves, how's that going in our home these days? Are we on the right track to shaping our kids' lives so they're prepared to enter an adult world armed with everything they need to live a life pleasing to God? And we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing as instructors? Are we prepared to teach the lessons of life each day through our own personal walk with the Lord? These things can't simply be taught in our own wisdom. We need grace and strength and the wisdom of God. Before we leave tonight, I want to give you two things. I call these child discipleship maxims. These are not Bible, okay? But these are are statements based upon the principles of what we see, not only in the Word of God, but in the world we live in. Number one, I have these on the bottom of your handout. Number one, remember this. What you allow in moderation, your children will take to excess. That is, write it down. That is a fact. What you and I allow in our lives in moderation, well, a little bit of that's okay. A little bit of that, that, our kids will take to excess. They'll run with it. Number two, what we view as optional, our children will view as unnecessary. And you know, we would do that, but we're going to opt out of that. And our kids will say, well, okay, that's not important. That's really not necessary in my life. And it's a scary thing when these get, start getting applied to very important spiritual things in our lives. It could cripple our kids. And no, it doesn't preclude the grace of God working in their lives. But man, we can do a lot of damage before it gets there. I don't say that to scare us. But I do say that to help us understand that we have an important task before us. To help the next generation to serve God with their whole hearts. Father, we thank you for your word and its power to change our lives. We thank you for bringing us to this place tonight. Lord, help us to honor you and glorify you in the way we raise our families. Lord, may Beaverton Baptist Church be a place full of people who want to see others serve you. Lord, help us to follow you, to lift you up, to give you the honor and glory with our lives. Lord, may our kids see that in our hearts and lives. And Lord, would you convict our hearts Help us to walk in a way that would honor you and glorify you. And Lord, we ask uh, that we would be able to prepare our kids.
to be successful in their Christian walk. Not because we're um, the fountain of all spiritual knowledge, but because we have followed you faithfully. Not perfectly, but faithfully in our lives and modeled that for them. Give us a great week this week. In your name we pray. Amen.